you as a family. Lord, we are so, so pleased, so delighted, so honoured when you, you show your presence, you show up, Lord. Lord, thank you for being so real in our lives, in our experience. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we honor you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Amen. How good is God? Man, man, man. Woo. All right. I'm going to give a, a short offering teaching um, before we uh, hear from someone really, really special. Really, really special. Um, I'm going to start uh, in this offering teaching in a classic spot. Absolute classic for offering teaching. <laughs> Um, and then I'm going to kind of address some things that I've, I've noticed and um, encountered over the last little bit that I think need addressing. But let's just start in Malachi 3 and verse 10. Many of us will be very familiar with this, this passage, but it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit, fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land. This is a really, a really key kind of verse um, when it comes to teaching and and understanding of what tithes are, what what it even is. What is this principle? And and sometimes we can, like many things, we can get into a bit of a a rhythm or a routine where we we neglect the memory or, or the understanding of why, why it is we do something. And um, over the last few months, I've, I've encountered uh, some Christians, not, not in this family, you can rest, you know, rest easy, um, in conversation and just a few things that they said just kind of twigged up like a little flag going, whoop, <laughs> that's not quite right. Um, and I just wanted to address this one thing, and it's a it's a it's a crazy thought. <laughs> it's a crazy thought, um, but it's an easy one to think, right? If you can't afford to tithe, God wouldn't ask you to do that. God wouldn't ask you to tithe if you can't actually afford it. <laughs> That's the thought, and I just wanted to briefly speak on on what what actually does. God asks us to do, and why? Because there's a couple of parts to this. Because we know that God is a good God. He is a good Father. And His heart is, uh, His plans are for good. We know that. It says that uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to give us life and life more abundantly. 
So we're not questioning the goodness of God, but we are having a look at what he's asked us to do and why. You know, what comes to mind when, when someone says, oh, look, you know, if you can't afford to, then you probably, you know, God wouldn't ask you to do that. I can, what comes to mind is when God asked Abraham to give his only son. Could he afford that? Could he afford to give his only son? That was the only one he had. <laughs> that was the only one. Did, could the widow afford to provide for Elijah when she, was, she had nothing in the middle of a famine? There was nothing. She was about to make her last meal and then accept death for her and her son. Could she afford to do what the Lord asked her to do? No, not at all in the natural. The woman with the three mites. Now, it's not recorded that the Lord asked the, this woman to give everything that she had. But we know that, the, that Jesus highlighted her for her heart in that gift. She could not afford the gift that she gave. And the rich young ruler, Jesus said, look, he could afford a lot of things. But Jesus said, give it all away. Everything that you have, all of it, give it all away and follow me. God often asks us to give things that are precious to us as a test of our capacity to handle the greater level of glory that he wants to bring us into. I'll say that again. God often asks us to give things that are precious to us as a test of our capability to handle the greater level of glory that he wants to bring us into. Um, and this passage explains that just so well. Let's go to Luke 16 and verse 10. It says, He who is faithful in, in, uh, in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. There's this other thought that comes after, after that original one sometimes, and it, and it goes like this. Well, you know, when I, when I make a bit more money, then I'll, I'll be able to, you know. When I, make, when I have more, I'll give more. You know, the truth is that, uh, as the Bible says right here, if you're not faithful with the little that you have, you can be rest assured you will not be faithful with the more. It's a heart attitude. It's not a resource issue. <laughs> it is not a resource issue. It's a heart issue. So let's, let's see what else Luke has to, to show us here. Luke 16, 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give to you what is your own? What is he saying here? What is Jesus saying? He's saying that, man, there is something so much greater than what you've got in your hands. This uh, earthly treasures, wealth, it you know, can be a lot of things other than you know, just physical money, um, commodities, things that are valuable. This is the testing ground and the opportunity that we have that God has given us to see if we can handle something that's really valuable. 
Because make no mistake, the, the heavenly riches, the, the, um, the true riches that, that God is speaking about, that Jesus is speaking about here, they are so much more valuable. They are so much more valuable. But we can't be trusted to manage and handle that if we can't even handle and manage something as insignificant as earthly riches. And that is the reason that, that God asks us to do things consistently, to do something that could be hard. You might, uh, you know, you might be thinking, people have thought, look, you know, that's just not possible. You know, in today's day and age, you can't, you can't, you've got to squeeze every little bit of resource that you've got. I'm not speaking from theory. I and not to pump myself up at all, but I stand as a testament that it is possible. I sat over here in this vicinity of the room when I was about 14 and heard a message or maybe a hundred messages in a row for anyone that was there at that stage. Um, we went through a season of learning and teaching around finance and what the principles that God's put in place and why. We're not, we're not here for a a uh, get-rich kind of system, that's not the focus, not at all. But I sat there and, and I made a decision that I would, I would give at least 10%. I would pay my tithe like the Lord has asked me to, no matter what. No matter what. Even if I found myself in the position like that old lady and I only had... Nothing, almost nothing in my hand. I would pay my tithe. I made that decision and it has been 18 years. <laughs> and I'm still here <laughs> with enough resource to provide for my family. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. So it might, this, this has been like a speed, a speed run through tithes and there's so much to, to unpack and to learn about what God has designed and why he's designed it this way. But I just wanted to bring a bit of truth into that this morning, if that's okay with everybody. Yeah, awesome. Lord Jesus, as we prepare our, our offering and our tithe, Lord, Father, would you... Back up your word and as we, as we step out in faith and say, Lord, we commit to you what is yours. Lord, would you do what you said you were going to do? Prove yourself faithful that you would open the windows of heaven. Lord, as we, as we accept that, that, that test, of our of our um, our value and our resources, Lord, that you would find us faithful with what you have given us, because it's all yours anyway. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Righto. It is now my great pleasure to introduce a friend. A good friend of mine. So let's uh, let's honour Marion as she comes. She's going to bring our word this morning.
I can remember what Tim told me. Am I on? You are. I am on. That's good. <laughs> I hope I stay on. <laughs> oh, that's even better. I wasn't going to mention this, but I had something happen to me last Thursday. It was rather cool. Um, I really felt, I came back and I really felt to give some money to someone. And, uh, you know, you have a credit card and you have a bill here and this happens, this happens. You just go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was at a um, conference. I got invited to a church conference and I had to drive to Portland and I had a couple of meetings to do last weekend and I'm going up there and I'm thinking, gee whiz, I think I better get some petrol. It's right, you know. So I stop at the service station and go out, get the card out, the magic cards and no money in it. I'm thinking, oh, I don't think this is good. <laughs> so I'm looking for another card, you know how you go. And I did have one that had, was a Fiji one uh, and I'm looking and then there's a voice at the back of me. This is in Geelong and the voice says, I'll pay. And I say, oh, no, no, and I'm looking in my wallet trying to find. Then I'm realising the card I'm looking for, I don't think there's anything on that one either. <laughs> so I'm standing at this counter and this voice keeps saying, I will pay. And she puts over and I looked at the hand, which was a brown hand. I turned around. There's a Fijian girl there, about 30-odd, I would say a Christian girl with a big smile. I will pay. And she paid. How cool is God? I mean, I really felt to give this money. It was like, da-da. And it wasn't money I had in my wallet either. It was borrowed money. Anyway, so isn't God good? Now, I'm going to read some scriptures that's really impacted me the last month or so. It's in the book of Joel. And in this book, it's a book of restoration. But the first part is rather interesting. And chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Tell this to your children about it in the years to come. Let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. So chapter 1, it's talking about a great mess. <laughs> A real big mess. And it wasn't for that generation that Joel saw in his time, but it was to be way, way down from generation to generation. They had to pass it on. So it was for a time that was in the future. And I believe it was fulfilled partly in the book of Acts. Remember, the Spirit of God was poured out and they're all saying, what is this? And Peter says, this is that that was spoken in the book of Joel. And I looked this up in the, um, I need to illustrate this. I looked this up in the old King James and I discovered something quite interesting. In the old King James, when it's spoken of there, when Peter says, this is that which was spoken in the uh, book of Joel, he said, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit. A part of the spirit of God came dripping down in the book of Acts. But when you get right down to the book of Joel, 
He says, I will pour out my spirit. The whole lot's coming down. Not just a pouring out of, which changed this planet. The whole lot's coming down. And we're living in a time where God is going to pour out his spirit without measure. He's not going to hold any of it back. He's going to get the whole lot and he's going to tip it down. And guess who's under the spout where the whole lot's been poured out? I must remember that. That was quite good. The whole lot is going to be poured out on the last day church. Fireworks is about to happen. I really believe this. Um, And so I just want you to see the picture that Joel paints with his words. The first chapter, it looks pretty bad. (laughs) But the second chapter, everything changes. So I just want you to, in your mind, get this picture. And over in verse 3, tell your children, your children's children. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. After they came, the hopping locusts and then the stripping locusts. Now, I've been in a locust plague. I'm sure Rhoda would remember. She was a bit younger than me. But on the farm, there was the locust plagues came in. And these locust plagues don't leave any prisoners. (laughs) They take everything. You can have a crop of barley or wheat. They just come and this cloud of these unbelievable destructive animals just wipe everything out. My father left his jacket up in the cow yard, cow shed, and it was a brown jacket, but it had green fleck through it. When he picked it up, it had big holes where the green fleck used to be. There's nothing left. And this is a picture of the enemy coming in, messing with God's stuff. When you mess with God's stuff, you're messing with God. (laughs) I think Hamas is about to experience what it means to mess with God's stuff over in Israel. You don't mess with God's stuff. So what happened here? Everything. And then he goes on to see what the devastation of this particular vision he sees. He says, wake up you drunkards and weep. Wail, all your wine dresses, all the grapes are ruined. Wine can speak of the life of God, the joy of God. It says all the sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts have invaded the land. A terrible army, numerous, too numerous to count. The teeth are like teeth of lions. Its fragrance are like those of the lioness. It has destroyed my wine, my grapevines. It's ruined my fig tree. It stripped their bark and destroyed it, leaving the branches white and bare. Weep like a bridegroom in black. Mourn the death of a husband. A bride doesn't dress in black. Devastation, death, mourning, 
nothing left. There is no grain or wine. You can talk about the word of God. You can talk about all of these things, symbolic. And it says, and the offering of the temple. So the priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed. I only read this when God tells me. I'm not good at reading. I have to be anointed to do this. I keep telling God, let me read this. The grapes have shriveled and the olive tree is gone. Despair. All you farmers, wail. All your wine growers, wail, weep. Mourning, devastation. Weep because of the wheat and the barley. All the crops of the field are ruined. The wine, the, the grapevines have dried up. The fig trees have withered. The pomegranate, the palm tree and the apple tree and all the fruit trees have dried up. All the people's joy has gone with it. Verse 14, announce, now he's looking at all of this. And it says, announce a time of fasting. Call the people of God together for a solemn meeting. Bring the elders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God. Cry out to him there. The day of the Lord is near. A day where destruction comes from the Almighty. And it talks about the seed in verse 17, drying up. Talks about the crops, the barns being empty talks about a big mess and the flocks of the field are even crying with hunger in verse 18 and it says they are in misery. The sheep and the goats are beating in mis- bleating in misery and then it says, Lord, help us. <laughs> if you see such a devastation in the land, of course you're going to say, Lord, help us. Who else can help? When it's a mess like this. And you know what? When you look at this verse, these lots of uh, chapter, you go to chapter 2, it's a very different story. Lord, help us. And he moves in on the situation. And when Satan tried to mess with God's stuff, it's not a good idea. Because God not only restores, but he usually adds a fair few hundredfold on top of that because he's God. And you don't mess with God's stuff. And I just want to tell you a story. I've been living in Fiji and I, um, the World Rugby Cup was on. And this is the weekend before I'm coming to fly out. And Fijians are... Mad rugby players. (laughs) And they're rather good, especially at the sevens. This is the 15s. So the World Cup is on, the semi-finals, I think it was, and Georgia is playing Fiji. And it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, gosh, I've got to preach in a church in town, Peter Brown's church in town. I want to have my wits about me. But I know... When Fiji's playing up on my hill, it's not much use trying to sleep anyway because if they're winning, there's cheers and yelling and screaming. So I get up, bleary-eyed, put the TV on. I had a Fijian friend staying. She's watching and cheering but goes all quiet because Fiji's making a mess. 
dropping the ball. <laughs> can't, the boys can't get their act together. They throw it this way, they throw it that way, butterfingers. So halftime comes at 3-0 against Fiji. I said, I'm going to bed. So I go to bed, wake up in the morning to hear Fiji had won 12-7. to They got into the semi-finals. Now, they did get beaten later on, but the point was I gave up at half-time because of what I saw. I thought, these guys aren't getting their act together. Nothing's working out. I'm not going to sit up here and waste my time, but I missed it <laughs> because half-time came and the whole thing turned around and Fiji won. You know, a lot of Christians... I really believe I've got a word. Don't give up at half time. Keep at it. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Don't give up because everything can change. The suddenlies of God can change in one moment. God's God. He's up there watching the enemy, messing with his stuff. But he's not that impressed. And it talks about him roaring from Zion. Talks about him taking over the whole situation in a moment of time. Everything changed. I wake up to see Fiji had won. I thought, what the heck? They won? Oh, yeah, they got their act together at half time. The boys were brilliant. And I just want to say, don't give up at half time. If you see the Bad stuff happening. Your eyes are telling you, your ears are telling you, the, the media is telling you. But I tell you, the realms of the spirit are very different because God's got a plan. And when God starts to roar from Zion, you know, they always say it's not over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> and I tell you what, God's going to have a few, maybe one up here even, singing. Because he's going to have a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, that's going to take control of this planet. We're going to see not only regions, but nations turn to God. You know, I've got a cry in my heart for the South Pacific. 25,000 islands of the South Sea. And I cry out and I say, God, give them to me. How determined are you to see the plans and purposes of God done? Don't look at the natural. Just keep your eye on the captain because the victory's coming. And here we are, chapter 2. And it really hit me. I mean, I've read all my life about the day of the Lord. I'm sorry, swapping these things. All the day, the day of the Lord. I had a revelation at the Lake Ruruna yesterday. It's not the day of the elite. It's not the day of corrupt governments. It's the day of the Lord. <laughs> this is his day. This is his time. We're living in the most incredible period of time in the history of mankind. God's going to show off and prove who God is. And he's about to take off. The fireworks are about to begin. Always before the greatest moves of God, the enemy puts the greatest pressure on and so many people, Christians, are shaking away. At half time, 
ready to go to bed and go to sleep because it's too tough. But if they'd stuck it out, they would have sought the victory. We've got to be people that stick it out no matter what and know that God is in control. Chapter 2. I love this. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. It says, raise the alarm. It says, raise the alarm on my holy mount. Let everyone tremble in fear. Now, the first chapter was the enemy messing with God's stuff. The second one is God messing with the enemy's stuff. It says, in that day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep darkness, suddenly... It's going to be a lot of southernlies. Let dawn spread across the mountains. Says a great and mighty army appear. Nothing like it has ever been seen or ever will be seen again. Fire burns in front of them. And it says a flame, a big flame follows after them. Wow. What an incredible army. And it talks about, um, in verse 4, it says, Look, like they are like horses. They, they charge forward like war horses. This isn't a little Shetland pony we're talking about here. These are war horses. And when you have a war horse, you are going to war. Look at these. They are leaping across the mountains. Listen to the, more, the noise they make, like the rumbling of chariots, like the roaring of fire sweeping across the fields of stubble, or like mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips the people. Now, these fear is gripping the enemy. Every face grows pale with terror. It says they march like warriors, it says they scale the walls, they go forward, they do not break rank, everyone is in its own position, everyone is content with that which God has called them into, a mighty army that has never ever been seen or shall ever be seen. It says in verse 8, they neither jostle each other, Isn't that great? They're not pushing around with each other. They're showing respect for each other's position. Each moving in exactly the right position. They break through defences without missing a step. They swarm over the city. They run along the walls. They enter all the houses. They climb through like thieves into the windows. The earth quakes And it says about um, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon and everything else. The Lord's hand is so powerfully upon this mighty army. And then it goes on, it talks about um, the, the people of God praying and fasting and returning unto him. And it talks about the word of God going forth and a restoration Of all that the enemy tried to steal, God restored with some. 
great what God did. Now, I want to testify here. Um, I, um, I've been in Fiji many, many years, and the last 16 years, I'm just giving an example of how great God is and how fast he can move. I'm testifying. For the last 16 years, I haven't been able to say too much, but we've been under a very, uh, very big dictatorship in the government realm. Uh, the military took over and they just took their uniform off, but they ran the show very, very, uh, with, a, with a heavy bullying hand. Many journalists were bashed up, uh, women were raped in areas, all sorts of crazy stuff has happened for the last 16 years. And a guy by the name of uh, Barney Marama has been the so-called Prime Minister of Fiji. Another man by the name of Asad Kayun is the Indian man who's the Assistant Prime Minister. And what happened, they would keep giving Barney Marama $3,000 a day, spending money and send him all over the world. And Kayun ran Fiji. Everyone knew it. And Kayun was a Muslim man who had an agenda. <laughs> one of his mates got drunk one night and spilled all the beans. <laughs> agenda to make this the first Islamic state in the South Pacific. He almost did it. He almost did it. But chapter 2 of the book of Acts happened. And... A couple of years ago, a crazy thing by the name of COVID happened. Did you ever hear of that? Well, it smashed Fiji's economy. 80% unemployment, region after region, brought the country to its knees. Um, tourism is what Fiji runs on. They say indirectly and directly, it's up to 75% of the economy sort of directly and indirectly is governed. Everyone was out of work. Nothing was going right and the election was coming up. And the people of God fell to their knees and they got a hold of a scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You know it well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Prayer meeting after prayer meeting started to break out right throughout the 333 islands of Fiji. Even Hindu and Muslim people were praying. They knew if they do not have a change of government, either China or Islam is going to take this place. And on top of that, China's giving 40,000 US dollars to the politicians each who signed the thing with China over in the Solomons and everything in Fiji was a mess. 86% of GDP is to the cost of paying off the interest on the loan. Not the loan, the interest even today. 86%, the treasurer said, 
is paying off the interest on the loan. So Fiji was in a bad way. And we have this dictatorship that had hidden agendas ruling. But the people began to humble themselves before God everywhere. Began to seek God like never before. And we had a, a man by the name of Sidiveni Rambuka. You may have remembered him on the 14th of May, uh, 1987. A man with a very big moustache and big muscles <laughs> uh, took over Fiji. He was third in charge of the military. Just, I'll put a side note here, I wasn't going to. A couple of CIA agents were just happened to be visiting the country at that time. Um, and also a couple of empty frigates in Suva Harbour, in case it went to custard. Won't go much further, but Longy in New Zealand was a Labor man and Bravanda had just been elected a Labor man in Fiji. Both were stopping nuclear submarines in the South Pacific. So it just happened to be a couple of guys just visiting <laughs> and wearing balaclavas and helping the boys attack the parliament. Anyway, that's by the way. So you've got a man by the name of Sidiveni Rambuka. He rises up out of nowhere, took over the country, military. Cut it all short. Uh, there's been four and a half coups in Fiji. Only Fiji can do half coups. They do it very well. Um, and the place has been ransacked since that time economically and every other way. So Sidiveni Rambuka had a good motive but a, maybe a bad way of doing things. And finally, what happened with him, um, he went into politics, he became a prime minister in the 90s, then at the end of the 90s he lost the election, he went into oblivion because 2000 came as well and um, they took over, again the military took over Fiji. Fiji is the only country in the South Pacific that has a military and they have an anti-terrorist like, type arm and they're usually the ones that take over, by the way. Anyway, so then here they are and now Bani Marama has taken over. He's the head of the army in 2000 and Kaun's right there, right? Now what had happened to Sidiveni... In that period of time, he lost his pension, his government pension for being Prime Minister, lost it all. He went back to the village. He picked up coconuts and plastic bottles to feed his family. And God began to deal with him, really dealt with him. He came on TV probably about 12 years ago. And if ever I've seen a man repent before a nation, it was that day. Very moving. He stood up and he said, I, Sidiveni Rambuka, take total responsibility for my actions. On 14th of May, 1987 uh, and 88, there was another one. And he said, the regret of my life is doing this. 
And in that time, God gave him a scripture. The scripture was, treat well the strangers that dwell in the land, which is the Indian population. At that time, were about 50%. They're up to about uh, 36% now. So he was touched by God in the most incredible way, humbled, brought right to nothing. We didn't hear that much about it until we heard he joined the Sadafa party, which was a party of mainly chiefly people. Have you ever heard the story, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? <laughs> they were like dealing with a bag of cats. Everyone wanted to be the boss. And he became the leader. He finally left that. Then there was another man, an academic from the university who had a PhD in economics by the name of Bimbrid Prasad. And this man was, had a PhD and knew what it was to spend money correctly. So he rose up and became the head of the Fiji uh, National Federation Party. So... Eight years ago, we had an election, and I heard this off the horse's mouth. In Fiji, when we vote, we have a ballot paper, and you only vote for one person. So what happened, a big container came in from China, and it had keep out Fiji government only. The head of customs brought the boys with the bolt cutters and it broke in because he said, I have to find out what's in here. That's my job. Just happened to be full of Barney Marama papers, ballot papers already circled with his name. And heaps and heaps and heaps of ballot boxes. There were a two-hour gap between the close of voting and the counting, two hours. A lot of the military just happened to drop in on quite a few stations and switch over ballot boxes. Three months after that election, about three months, we had massive hurricanes in Fiji and all these real ballot boxes and papers ended up on the outer islands. <laughs> Everyone knew. They rigged it. Four years ago, I'm watching TV in the middle of the night, seeing how we're going with this election, and figures kept coming. They didn't say where, but there'd be 20,000, 10,000, and lost the election. They rigged it. Does that sound familiar? I heard that before. Anyway, um, so they rigged the election. So now we're back here, and it's at the end of last year, there's a new election. The people knew... But for God, this nation is sunk. So they prayed, they fasted. Three and Asakayon had it all wrapped up. He brought all these Islamic people from Pakistan, Malaysia, put them in charge of the judiciary, of every government department, immigration even. And, and he'd give them massive wages, I mean massive. And every time he wanted a court case to go this way or that, he'd ring up and say, by the way, this is how you're going to rule it. And so you can imagine. But Acts, I mean, Joel chapter 2 rose up. 
And at about three o'clock in the morning, Asad Kayon comes belting down to where they're counting all the ballot boxes. Everyone saw them because there's prayer meeting after prayer meeting happening 24-7. And the Commissioner of Election, Samit, just happens to be Asad Kayon's sister's son. Just, just saying, not that there's nepotism. So he gets there and we're watching the screen. All of a sudden, they're romping it in. It goes up. Computer system they have from China keeps going up and up and up. They're just romping it in. And the people start praying, full storm. I mean, really, praying up a storm. Straight after they're romping it in, their whole computer system crashes. I mean, pew! <laughs> nothing. The guy gets, I was watching it about six o'clock in the morning. I've never seen anyone so nervous. The head of elections is shaking like a leaf. Oh, um, um, we've had a glitch. <laughs> There's T-shirts walking around Suva with godly glitch across. <laughs> the godly glitch happened. And so you have this political scene going on. And they're having to count by hand. There's only 800,000 people in Fiji. What the heck? Not hard to count by hand. So they had to count by hand. Now, Sidaveni Rambukas Alliance parties here. Uh, Bimra Prasad, that's mainly Fijian, but some Indians and some Fijians and Indians in Bimra Prasad's party. So they're joined together. They're the united parties that are trying to get Fiji first, which is Bani Marama and Kayon out, right? So they're, and they need more votes. In Fiji, every politician votes in the Prime Minister. So they need more votes. So Bimrat Prasad, Sidiveni, cap in hand, go to the Sidelfa party, you know, the one with all the cats in the bag. And I thank God for the wisdom of this man. He could have run them into the ground when he left. He left very graciously and kept his mouth shut. And so he came back. All the reporters all over the world are waiting for the decision because they're having a meeting. And after the meeting, they'll have a decision. I was laughing my head off. Um, here's all the local journalists under the mango trees over here. And all the overseas journalists up there with the microphones waiting for the outcome. And I thought, gosh, mate, you better book your, book your hotel for the next two or three weeks. So they come out, no decision. Every day, no decision. No weeks, a week go on. Finally, the decision, yeah, we're joining them. And now everyone's saying, great. Next morning, oh, sorry, we changed our mind. Another week went on. Anyway, what happened... Finally, the three politicians that were in the Sadafa party said, and with the whole party, okay, this is, they, they didn't like Sidaveni because he was with them and then left, but they, they disliked Barney Marama and Kayun even more. So they joined. So the vote came Christmas Eve, and three guys on their party. Everyone thought they're all joining. 
but one of them jumped on the other boat. Cut it all short. Sidaveni, um, Bimri Prasad's party, and now the Sidelfa, one by one boat. <laughs> one boat only. And I've never been so touched by, I've never taken so much interest in politics in Fiji. I mean, it's, it's a funny game in Fiji. You know, you have all the rules of how politics should be. Then you have Fiji politics, which is just totally different. But what happened, these guys, all of these people that Sidaveni and Bimarad Prasad had got together, Oh, my gosh, their maiden speeches were, I'm here because God called me. I'm here. Please pray for us. It was such a touching, moving ceremonies, just total yielding to God. And I am so hopeful for this nation of Fiji because it's the key to the South Pacific. And a miracle happened, the godly glitch. No dictatorship in this world, no corrupt whatever, has a wimp of a way of standing against the God of the universe. Because this is the day of the Lord. Kept coming to me yesterday. Why haven't I seen this? This isn't the, you know, we hear about leaps, we hear about all these things. But this is the day of the Lord where God's going to show off. He's going to move in such a magnitude that we have never seen. I believe regions are going to come and just humble themselves before God and God's going to cause the, the mighty move of God with signs following them that believe. Nothing is going to stop it. And when they mess with God's stuff, God puts another few hundred fold on top to show who he is. And we're in that day. And I just rejoice about what's happening in Fiji. I think um, I've never been so... Time will tell, of course, because temptation's coming. I saw the United Nations trying to woo them and this, but I was really touched that um, Mr Ambuka came to see Mr Albanese about three days ago. They can't pay their debt back to China. Please, sir, we need our old friends back. It was a good speech. He got $68 million, so he'll pay the bill. But he's not f following the red dragon like a lot of the South Pacific is. He's following God. He's got people everywhere praying for him. He's a man that just humbles himself. He still sings in the buck. Butt Street Methodist Choir, even though he's Prime Minister. And his guard's standing there and he was joking the other day. He says, oh, I sing much better than my guard because <laughs> he sings with him apparently when he's singing. Just a humble man who just wants to do the stuff. He's 74, could be sitting under a coconut tree enjoying life. But for such a time as this, God's raised him up. And uh, so I just want to... Say, no government, no situation yeah. is too big yeah. for our God. Yeah. God is God. Sometimes we forget God is God. Yeah. And you don't mess with God's stuff. 
He has the last say. And when God has the last say, he roars from Zion. And he takes back what the enemy has messed up and just keeps adding more and more and more. So I just want to encourage you, even if you're yourself in a situation you don't know, what the outcome will be. Don't look at what your eyes are seeing or your ears are hearing. Look to the God that is the God of the impossible that can do anything he wants. So watch this space. I believe there's going to be the greatest moves of God through the South Pacific and the army of God is on the march. You know, the enemy goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's a big mouth. He's the big smoke. But it's all smoke and fanfare. God's God. And, and, you know, we've heard it many a time, but kingdom of God comes without observation in the hearts of the people. It's happening now. That nation amongst all nations has been raised up in every place. An army that's going to put terror on the face of the enemy because he knows what's coming. Short time left, he's roaring. Don't listen to his roars. I love that song about the Lion of Judah has the power to open the seals. No one else. It's not the day of Satan or the day of this. It's the day of the Lord. Amen. Amazing. We are about to have communion, so if you haven't got the emblems, they're down the back on the sound desk or on the table over in the corner. Help yourself. Excellent. We, uh, we headed to Canberra a number of weeks ago and just before we went to uh, Canberra, God had me looking in Matthew uh, 27. And to be honest, it's, uh, I mean, I've looked at it and I've gone back to it and I've left it and I've gone back and I've left it and I've gone back and I've been saying, what are you saying? What are you saying? And he sent Marion from Fiji. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So in verse 45, in the, the start of Matthew 27, he's been talking. It's, it's the crucifixion. It's the lead up to him. Jesus being put on the cross, talks about people mocking and scorning him. And when we get to verse 45, it says one sentence that God's had me back at for, for over a month now. For three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. Like, it's a bit of a weird random. In the middle of everything that's going on and being said, it's, it's a weird random statement, right? And then it goes on. At three o'clock, Jesus shouted in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, Lama Sakbaktani, I think. I think, something like that. That is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? And it goes on to talk about 
him dying on the cross. Why do I need to know? For three hours it was dark. It was the middle of the day. It shouldn't have been dark. They've gone back and done all of the research around moons and the earth moving and all the rest. This was not an eclipse. The whole earth was dark, not one spot. It wasn't a bit dark. It says it was dark in the middle of the day for three hours. And even in the midst of darkness, Jesus is on the cross. In the first book of Joel, the world is in chaos. And even in the midst of chaos, God already had a resurrection plan. Can you imagine being at the foot of the cross and everything goes dark? I I just reckon there might have been some people there who were like, finally we got him there. He's on the cross. We've won this thing. And then it went dark and they went, crap. (laughs) What have we done? How do we fix this? And, and, you know, there's the, um, quick, is, he wants a drink. Someone get him a drink. Quick, we better fix it. Give him a, that'll fix it. <laughs> Nothing was fixing what got him in that place other than God in control. And sometimes God actually needs to use the natural thing in the world around us to get our attention. I reckon he might have had their attention at the three-hour point. It goes on and, you know, we know the story. Jesus gives up his spirit. And then it says, the veil was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook violently. Rocks were split apart. Graves were opened. Just in case they missed it when it was dark for three hours. In the middle of chaos, just in case they missed it, And then there were still people in the days and weeks later that didn't quite get it. You know, God is on the move and he is up to something and we've all seen it. We've seen bits coming and we've heard bits. And there's a bubbling of the spirit in our city and the nation. What it comes down to is though, what is your decision and what is your choice? Because there was people that would have stood there and seen that. They would have seen um, the darkness. They would have seen the earthquake and they still would have walked away not believing in the power that Jesus brought on that cross. And yet there was others who would have seen all of that, would have seen the chaos in the natural and went, oh my gosh, I need to change my ways. This is the guy I'm following. And so communion for us is a reminder of that choice. Have you made one would be a good start. And then are we actually walking in that space every week? This is our opportunity to go, okay, you've actually paid. It's done already. We don't need to, to live looking at the chaos of the world anymore but actually seeking God for what his redemptive plan is for now because we are his redemptive plan. But if we don't agree with that, he won't use us. So Father, we just thank you 
for sending Jesus. We thank you for his body broken on that cross for us. We thank you that he paid for um, us. He paid for restoration for us. And so, Father, we just thank you for the power that you placed on that cross in his body. And we thank you that that same power rises in us with your Holy Spirit today. And so we just ask as we take this, God, that there would be an impartation of your spirit in this place. God, that people would walk knowing, God, not knowing in their head, but knowing in their heart that actually we're on the winning side, that victory is coming and the time is short and that you have things for us to do. And so, Father, I thank you that as we take this today, God, we actually are raised in your resurrected body. Yeah, and we just thank you for your blood shed. We thank you for the healing that you paid for. And so we just thank you that even today as we take communion, that any um, sickness or illness that's in this place can't stand. Father, we thank you that the, you've already bought you've already bought the healing. You've already bought the solution. You've already spoken um, what you are doing. You've already foretold the end of the book. And so, Father, we thank you that we walk with you in victory, even today in this place. And so we take that knowing, knowing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we can um, we can be encouraged that God is moving, and and just my encouragement is 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 don't don't focus on the on the big noise of the enemy, and uh, and the fear that um, the enemy always tries to generate. And uh, my rule of thumb is that anything that generates fear doesn't matter what it, what it what it is dressed up like, but if it if it generates fear, it's from the enemy. Reject it. Let's focus on what God's doing and and uh, enjoy the ride because there's there's some good stuff coming. Hallelujah! And speaking of good stuff coming, um, uh, next week, as in uh, well, this week, as in the second day of the week, Monday. Uh, tomorrow uh, we've got coffee happening uh, at the front. Uh, Mel will be on that machine pumping out the coffee, and uh, at nine thirty we've got um, play group. Okay, so playgroup is in here from 9.30 till 11. Um, and he'll be happier tomorrow at playgroup. Um, Wednesday, we have our prayer meeting, 7.30 down here. Uh, I encourage you to be here if you can. Uh, it's a good time of, uh, of uh, just seeking the Lord for, for, um, of, uh, for our, our nation. And, uh, and God speaks. Um, Thursday, um, school prayer meeting. There was a school prayer meeting that's held in the William Room and our, our focus is the college. Okay, Our focus is, is praying for all things um, school 
That's open to anybody in the school community. Uh, that's at 9 o'clock. At 9.30, um, there's a ladies' meeting in here. Book of Ephesians, Coral? Yeah. Um, stay and look at the Book of uh, Ephesians. So that's 9.30 in here on Thursday. And then a men's meeting, uh, 7.30 p.m. at Christo's place. Christo, give a wave. Yeah. Um, that's in Kennington. Um, so you can get directions from, from Chris. Uh, that'll be uh, wonderful. It's always a good. Um, uh, it's always a good, good meeting at, at Chris and Carol's. Yeah. And then Friday, Kingdom Youth, three thirty. Um, lots of little people in uh, in this space again. Um, I poke my head in very seldomly, um, but if you've got any time that um, that you can um, give some support to Mel, she would um, appreciate that. Uh, 3.30 until 5, Kingdom Youth in here. So that's our week coming. Amazing, indeed. So the Lord bless you all real good. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day and, uh, yeah, catch up with some people. Amen.